Have you ever felt overlooked? Feel like you're just in that place where you're just unseen? You, you can just sense that people are kind of seeing what's happening on the outside of your life, but they're missing on what's really going on on the inside. You just feel overlooked. And inside you know that I've got more to offer than anybody realizes. They're just not seeing me. Maybe it was that sports team that you didn't make when you were growing up. Or maybe it was just that awful feeling that we got when we were out on the playground when they were like picking teams. And as they're picking people, you're kind of just getting down to you and a couple other people overlooked. Maybe you feel overlooked in the area of marriage and relationships. It just seems like everybody else is finding someone. They're married, they're in a relationship, but not you. Overlooked. Maybe you're in a marriage right now and you feel overlooked. Or maybe you felt the sting and the pain of having your spouse actually look outside of your marriage for somebody else. Overlooked. That job that you didn't get, that promotion that went to somebody else. Maybe you just feel like you're living in the shadow of your family. Everybody else is completely successful except for you. Feeling overlooked. The university said, no, we don't want you to be one of our students. The scholarship committee says we're giving the money to somebody else. Maybe there's that role in the play that you wanted so bad, but somebody else got it. Overlooked. And everything in you, you just want to shout out to the world, see me. Would you just see me? Would you see the real me? I've got so much more to offer than any of you realize. Would you just see me? And maybe you're winning in life right now. Maybe you're just killing it and everything. But you know there is the possibility of being overlooked. Because we say things in our culture, things like this. Appearances, they aren't everything. We say things like looks can be deceiving. Absolutely. You can't judge a book by its cover. cover. Absolutely, Dakota. You're nailing it today, buddy. We know that those things are true. It's possible for us to be overlooked. I want to show you a video, an audition video for a show called Britain's Got Talent. And as you watch this video, I want you to be asking this question. What was the audience expecting? What was the audience expecting based on appearances? Let's watch this audition video together. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, uh, where are you from? I am from Blackburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of, it's a collection of uh, villages. I to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. Okay, what's the dream? I am trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? I've never been given the chance before, but he's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page. Elaine Page. Like what are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay. Big song. 
Yeah? Yes. They tipped their hand, didn't they? You could see what they were expecting. The snickers, the chuckles, the eye rolls. They weren't expecting anything from Susan Boyle. She was completely overlooked. We'll come back to Susan Boyle. But we're gonna turn our attention right now to David. David is the subject of this next series that we're gonna be looking at over the next several weeks. And friends, as this series unfolds, there's some things that you're gonna learn about David. And there's some things that you're gonna learn about the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, what God wants us to know is that you should learn to expect the unexpected. We're gonna look at the life of David and you are gonna see someone who at times was utterly amazing. And there's other times in his life where he was utterly human. You see, David was a picture of expecting the unexpected. He was an unexpected king. He didn't even look like a king. This first look that we're gonna have into the life of David, today we're gonna learn three things. And the first is that God sees the overlooked. The second is that God sees your heart. And the third is that God sees your need. The first mention of David in the Bible comes in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And you need to understand that this is an, an incredibly turbulent time in the nation of Israel. And the prophet Samuel is asked by the Lord to go to Bethlehem to do something that's very challenging, anoint a new king of Israel. You've got to understand there's an old king because there's going to be a new king. Now Samuel makes his way to Bethlehem the whole way he's just shaking his head because he remembers. He remembers the day that he went and anointed Saul, the first king of Israel. It hadn't been that long ago. Saul, tall Saul, strong Saul, head and shoulders, the Bible says, above everybody else. But now, not that long ago, Israel is looking for a different king. They wanted a king before God gave them Saul. Now they need a new king and they are stuck with Saul. Saul started out with so much promise, looked so good, but what a waste now. You see Saul, he couldn't outrun his pride and he could not outrun his disobedience. You see, the problem with Saul is he continually made it about him and he didn't make it about God. And what makes it even harder right now for Saul is that he knows in his gut that this kingdom that was given to him to lead is now slipping through his fingers. And he's understanding and he's getting more manic and more crazy as the day goes on, wild-eyed, because he knows that it's slipping away from him. You see, Saul isn't the king that he used to be. In fact, in God's eyes, he's not even the king anymore. But here's a question that we've got to ask. Why is it that God rejected Saul? And what is it that he sees in David that makes him think that David is going to be different than Saul? What did God see in David that he didn't see in Saul? 
And it's with this background that chapter 16 starts and God gives Samuel his marching orders to anoint a new king. 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse one, this is what the text says. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. You've got to understand for Samuel, this is not an easy assignment, not enviable by any stretch of the imagination because he's being asked to anoint a new king over Israel. And here's the problem. The old king, the crazy king, he crazy. He doesn't know that he's not the king anymore. And Samuel knows if he finds out If he finds out that I'm going to anoint another king, crazy, Saul, he's going to wipe me out. He's going to take my life and he's not even going to blink. And now here I am walking to Bethlehem and Saul, as paranoid as he is, he's going to be wondering, Samuel, what are you doing? What are you doing going to Bethlehem? And Bethlehem, Samuel's wondering, Bethlehem, why Bethlehem, God? It's a no-name town. This is like the the two-dot Montana of Israel. God, why would you send me to Israel? Could a king ever come from Bethlehem? Seems really, really unlikely. But the Lord says to Samuel, here's the plan. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem, but take a heifer with you. And this is what I'm gonna ask you to do when you get there. Sacrifice the heifer. Sacrifice the heifer to me. Nobody's going to suspect anything, Samuel. That's your day job. That's what you do. Just another day at the office for you, Samuel. So Samuel heads to Bethlehem. But the Lord says this, I want you to make sure that you invite Jesse and his family to the sacrifice, and then I will show you what to do. Samuel then says, You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Anoint for me the one that I indicate. Now, now when Samuel shows up to Bethlehem, the immediate response from the people is that they're afraid. Because why is Samuel, the great prophet of Israel, coming to our little no-name town? It's kind of like that feeling that you get when the principal comes and knocks on your homeroom and asks you to come out into the office. You're thinking, this can't be good. This isn't a good thing for me. But Samuel assures them, I come in peace. No one needs to be afraid. But as Samuel shows up to this sacrifice, he's got something else in mind. He knows that at the end of this day, he is gonna anoint a new king over Israel. So imagine what it would've been like to be in Samuel's shoes as the crowd is starting to come. Jesse starts to come. You start to see Jesse's sons coming into the party. You've got to be curious, don't you? Wondering, which one? Who is it? Scanning the crowd, doing everything you can not to speculate too much. Which son is it going to be? Because one of those sons, one of Jesse's sons at the end of this day is going to feel the warm anointing oil of the Lord over his head and he's going to be the king of Israel. 
Who's going to be the new king? Now, the next series of events, when you kind of sit back and look at it, it's kind of got this little dog and pony show feel to it. As Jesse starts to parade his sons in front of Samuel. But Samuel sees the very first son, Eliab, and the first thought that goes through his mind is, my work here's done. I mean, look at this guy. And he's the oldest son. It makes sense that the king would come from the oldest son. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. Women love him, guys wanna be him. This is the guy. So Samuel reaches down and he grabs for his horn of oil, but the Lord grabs his hand. And the next thing that the Lord says grabs Samuel's attention And friends, it better grab our attention as well if we're gonna understand the meaning of this story. This is what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. Samuel, people look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. I'm gonna say it again. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's saying, Samuel, you've gotta think differently. You've gotta have a different mindset. You've gotta have a different framework for how you're even looking at this. I have a way different perspective, the Lord says, than everybody else. The pony show continues. Abinadab, God says, no. Shema, God says, "Uh uh-uh, not him. Son number four, son number five, son number six, son number seven. No, 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 no. Seven sons come in and seven sons go out. Nothing, no king. Awkward pause. (laughs) Just like you were feeling there. And then confused, Samuel looks to Jesse and he says, are these all of your sons? And then Jesse says, well, There is the youngest. His tone betrays what's going on in his mind. And he wants Samuel to understand there is the youngest, but he's the most unlikely of candidates. You see, Samuel, he's the youngest. He's the little brother. The language says almost literally, he's the runt of the litter. He's the baby. In fact, quite honestly, we didn't even think to invite him. He is out tending the sheep. He's barely a teenager. That's what the lowest in rank in a family would do. That's David, overlooked. That's where we first hear about King David in the scripture. King David's not in a palace. King David is out in a pasture tending sheep. Smelly, smelly 
sheep. But from this point on in the scripture, 66 chapters of revelation space is gonna be dedicated to the life of David. There's only one person that the scripture talks about more, and that's Jesus himself. 59 times in the New Testament of the Bible, it's gonna refer back to this great King David. These Psalms that we read in our Bible, and so many of them, we actually sing them. We sing those words. Those were penned, many of them, by this great King David. A king, a giant killer, a warrior, a leader. That's what David is going to become. But today, he's not even invited to the family party. He's forgotten. He's forsaken. He's undervalued. He's completely overlooked. This no-name kid doing a no-name task from a no-name town. David's the Cinderella, isn't he? He's the Cinderella. Everyone else is at the ball, and he's doing the chores. Samuel finds out there's another son, and he says, I demand to see him. In fact, Samuel says, we're not even gonna sit down until he gets there. That puts the hustle on Jesse's family. They're out in the pasture. David, come on. You've got to get to the party. They're waiting for you. As David turns up at the party, he is not what Samuel expected. I'm imagining that Samuel probably kind of even turned his head a little bit sideways as he kind of took this in and sized him up. You know, maybe if you squint, I mean, it almost looks like he's kind of a healthy young man. And maybe in just the right light, it almost seems like he's handsome. But God lets Samuel know the search is over. The search has come to an end when God says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Four powerful words that put an exclamation point on this story. This is the one. This is God's choice. This isn't the choice of man, but this is God's choice. So Samuel does what he came to do, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. Why did God pick David? What did God see in David that he didn't see in anyone else? That he didn't see in Saul? We really want to know, don't we? I think we really have to know if we're gonna understand this story, and the Bible makes it really clear, the reason that God chose David was because of his heart. He was a man after God's own heart. This is, how David, this is how Samuel said it to Saul when he was letting him know, Saul, you have been rejected as king. First Samuel 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom will not endure 
the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now you're gonna see as we've walked through this series about David and look at the life of David, his heart is not a perfect heart. His record is not a perfect record. He does not have the greatest of resumes. But what the scripture says is that he had a heart that was after God's own heart. He was the king of hearts. And in this first look at the life of David, we're gonna learn one that God sees the overlooked, that God sees your heart, and that God sees your need. I didn't come to faith in Christ until a little bit later in life. I'd grown up around the church, but it wasn't until during my sophomore year of college that I actually bowed my knee to Christ and made him the king of my life. And as I began to grow in my relationship with him, there was just this growing sense that God was asking me and inviting me to be a part of pursuing him in ministry. And so when my wife and I graduated from college, we joined a a campus ministry and served there for a lot of years. Well, right after we'd made that decision, I'd gone back to my hometown and I ran into my sixth grade teacher. And I remembered when I saw her, I remembered she was a follower of Jesus. So I was thinking she's gonna be so excited to hear about what God has done in my life. And so as, as quickly as I could, I kind of explained the big picture of what God was doing in my life and that I was heading into ministry. And I was just so excited for her to be high-fiving me and telling me how great that was. I just remember this blank look on her face and she said, you are the last person I would have ever imagined would go into ministry. I remember thinking, like, like of all the sixth graders that you've ever taught in your whole life, like, like dead last? There's nobody that I beat? And, and I sat there that day and I felt crushed. I was looking at it and I'm thinking, I, I know I wasn't a great kid, but was I that bad? But the more I thought about it, I began to think, I wouldn't have chose me either. And you know what started to well up in me was a gratitude. I'm glad that God doesn't choose people just the people that deserve it because he wouldn't have chosen me. God chooses in a different way. He chooses by grace, not by what we deserve. I was overlooked, maybe for good reason. But like David, I bet every one of us in some way, we know what it feels like to be the youngest son, the little brother, the runt of the litter. You don't have to be a guy and you don't even have to have siblings to know what that's like. Nobody, I think, escapes it completely. Sometimes, somewhere, you've probably all been treated like you didn't matter. You didn't exist. You weren't wanted. You don't have potential. But you know what this story tells us? Even if we feel overlooked, God doesn't overlook us. You may feel in your life like you're out in the pasture. Nobody knows what's going on in me, but you need to hear today over and over, God sees you. God sees you. He has not overlooked you. You know, 
the reason that sometimes we overlook people, sometimes the reason that we get overlooked is that quite honestly, we're actually looking at the wrong things. We're looking for the wrong things. Now, I want to ask a question. I feel like I'm going to cross a line here, and I'm going to move from preaching into maybe meddling a little bit in your life. So I just want to let you know that's coming. I want to ask you a question. How much time, energy, and money do you spend trying to make the external things of your life look really, really good? Versus how much time, energy, and money do you spend making the internal things of your life look good? When I'm talking about the external things, I'm talking about making ourselves beautiful, making ourselves fit, making ourselves wealthy. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying any of those things are bad or irrelevant, but I'm, I'm just asking you to weigh it out. How much time and energy and attention do you give to those things in your life versus the internal things in your life? And when I say that, I'm talking about heart. I'm talking about character. Because the Lord made it so clear to Samuel what he values. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, I'm going to read it again. He says to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see those external things? that we give so much time and energy to, friends, they're gonna fade over time. They're not gonna last. But the things that we engage in that build the internal things in our life, our character, actually have the time to become greater and more beautiful and shine even greater over time. And here's the question that I've been wrestling with this week. As I think about us as a church, and about people that our church, that we want to reach, that we want to come to know Jesus. As they're out there, how much do you think they care? Or what do they think we need? Do they need us to be more beautiful? Do they need us to be more fit? Do they need us to have more money, talent, creativity, polish, productivity? Now again, I'm gonna say it again. Those things aren't wrong. Pursuing those things aren't wrong. But on balance, what is it that the world needs? They don't need us to grow in that way. What the world out there needs is they need Jesus. They need to know Jesus. And here's what's true. The way that God has set it up for them to come to know Jesus is that they would see Jesus in us. That as we follow after this rabbi, our life and character would change so much that we would actually start to look more and more like Jesus. That's what the world out there needs. They don't need you to have a smaller waistline and a bigger wallet. They need you to look more like Jesus. Friends, we need to be those kind of people that we know how to love the way that Jesus loved. And that same radical love that we saw in the life of Jesus, that we would actually take that same radical love and put it into action in the world around us. That the world would see that. They would see it in how we love and how we serve and how we think about other people as more important than ourselves, that we would be generous, very generous with everything that God has given us, that we would be humble, that we would be joyful, 
because we are connected to the king of kings, that we would be more content. Why do we spend so much time and energy and money just focusing on the external things when the only thing that moves God is our heart? And lastly, this story helps us see that God sees our need. God sees our deepest need. And our deepest need is this. We need his power in our life. God sees your need and your greatest need in life is that you would have his power in your life. I want to read verse 13 again. As Samuel anoints David. He says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. In the Old Testament, this idea of oil, this idea of anointing with oil was symbolic of the power of God being poured out on the life of a person. That's what this picture is. That's what God wants us to see, is this supernatural empowerment that God gave to David. Did God choose David because intrinsically his heart was way better than his brother's hearts? Not at all. In fact, David's heart itself, if we, our heart, if we do what naturally comes to us, is that we're self-centered. That's naturally what our heart is. But here's what happened with David. God's power was poured out in his life and God gave him a new heart. And now we're gonna look again. I'm gonna say this over and over. We're gonna look at the life of David and it's not like he just hit home run after home run after home run in life. In fact, David has some spectacular strikeouts in life. But this is what is true of David. He was a man who was after God's own heart that this power and anointing from God, he was allowed God's power to shape and mold his life. When David was in those places where he was listening to God and responding to God, responding to the power of the spirit in his life, giants fell. But when David was dependent upon himself, trying to gut it out, trying to pull himself up by the brute straps, David fell. God wants us to understand from this story that our greatest need is his power in our life. David knew that. David knew what gave him power in life. In the wake of one of David's greatest failures in life, murder and adultery with Bathsheba, we'll talk about this at the end of this series. In the wake of that, as he's standing before God, pouring out his heart to God. This was his plea before God. Psalm 51, verse 11. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Why would that be David's plea? Of all the things that he could ask for, why would that be David's plea? He knew that's what made him who he was. It wasn't him pulling himself up by the bootstraps. It was him trusting in that anointing of God. Remembering that day that the oil ran over his head and down his face and over his body and God's supernatural empowerment came upon him. God sees you and he wants you to know that's your greatest need is my power in your life.
I told you we were gonna come back to Susan Boyle. Susan Boyle was one who was overlooked. Let's watch her audition together. Without a doubt, that was the biggest surprise I have had in three years on this show. When you stood there with that cheeky grin and said, I, I want to be like a lame page, everyone was laughing at you. No one is laughing now. That was stunning, an incredible performance. Amazing. I'm reeling from shock about you two, but. I am Can't so thrilled because I know that everybody was against you. I honestly think that we were all being very cynical and I think that's the biggest wake-up call ever. And I just want to say that it was a complete privilege listening to that. It was brilliant. I knew the minute you walked out... On that stage, <laughs> that we were going to hear something extraordinary, and I was right. 
expect the unexpected. Where everybody else saw a shepherd boy, God saw a king. Expect the unexpected. A thousand years after David, something else really unexpected happened in Bethlehem. There was another king that was born, the king, the true king, the king of kings. You know what's true about this king from Bethlehem? He was overlooked. He was overlooked by his family. He was overlooked by his friends. He was overlooked by all of his people. But you know what the scripture tells us? He was actually even overlooked by the father, by his father. The gospel writers tell us that at the very end of the life of Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, bearing the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, my guilt, my shame, your guilt, your shame. It says that Jesus shouted out, in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was looking to the Father and saying, why have you overlooked me? And we know from the scripture at that moment, the Father turned his back on the Son as the son upon himself bore the wrath of Yahweh for the sin of the world. Jesus was overlooked so that God could see you, so that God could see me. He was willing to take that for us. And how does God see you because of what Jesus did for In Christ, he sees you as pure, and righteous, and holy. And you don't have to be stuck in some kind of a performance trap where it's like, I need to try to make myself acceptable to God. He made you acceptable to him. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did that day when he was willing to be overlooked so that God could see you. And when Jesus was overlooked, It allowed God to see your heart. And it actually allowed the possibility for God to give you a new heart. So you don't have to be stuck in the appearance trap either. I don't have to try to make myself look good to the world around me because God sees me and he sees my heart. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, his willingness to be overlooked for you, God enables us to experience his power, his anointing, his spirit, in our life. Jesus was willing to be overlooked so that God could see us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. I don't know what else to say besides thank you. Thank you that you were willing to be overlooked so that God can see me, so that God can see us. Jesus, I know that there are challenges in my life, challenges in the life of my friends, 
But I just want to say, a God that would do that for me, I trust. Even if I don't understand why your hand moves the way it does sometimes, I trust your heart. I know that your heart is good for me. I know that you see me. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to be overlooked so that the Father could see me. And it's in your powerful and risen name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.